Welcome to Lone Star Latter-day Saint Voices, a podcast dedicated to conversations with members of The Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints here in North Texas. I'm your host, Eric Egan. Our guest on this episode is Calvin Griffin, president of the Denton, Texas Stake. In this special Black History Month edition of our podcast, we will be talking with President Griffin about his early life, his conversion to the gospel of Jesus Christ, and his perspective as an African-American member of the church. By way of introduction, President Griffin is a native of Mississippi, but has lived in Texas for 35 years now, 15 years in the Houston area, and now 20 years in the Dallas-Fort Worth area. He and his wife, Ave, are both converts to the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints and will celebrate their 33rd anniversaries of their baptisms this year. The Griffins have been blessed with five children who range in age from 20 to 30 years old, and they have two grandchildren as well. President Griffin works in the pharmaceutical industry, and he became president of the Denton, Texas Stake in June of 2017. President Griffin, thank you for joining us. I am very excited to be here with you. I thought it would be interesting to start by learning a little bit about you and and your past. Tell us a little bit about where you were born and grew up. I was born in Batesville, Mississippi, and uh, in the south, uh, in the northern part of Mississippi, And that's where my childhood took place until I was around uh, 18. And then after that, uh, I got a chance to live in Chicago and New Orleans and and, and Houston and then now here here in Dallas. And in your growing up years, what was your family like? My mother had 13 children and uh, I was a ranked number six in that group. And so uh, out of 13 children, there was nine that's still alive. Uh, uh, she, uh, she lost, uh, she lost uh, four of her children at childbirth, but uh, it was nine of us uh, for the most part in the family. And so uh, my dad was a sharecropper. And so we were in the fields a lot. Uh, and that is uh, the cotton fields uh, during the summer. And uh, we had chores around the home that we had to do every day. And, and so uh, it was a busy, it was a very busy life. It was chores and, you know, getting wood and then water. Uh, believe it or not, you know, some people don't know that a well, but we didn't have a well, we had a pump. And so I remember as a young lad having to prime the pump. And so we hmm. would pump water and bring the water into the home. And so uh, that was kind of interesting. So we've seen it from getting uh, water from a pump to where you could turn on a faucet, you know. Uh, so I had a chance to kind of experience all what that's like. We was on a farm, had chickens, hogs, pigs, uh, you know, cows, uh, the, the whole works, the, the whole work. So uh, a very busy childhood. Sounds like you would have learned to work hard in that environment. You didn't have a choice. Uh, <laughs> you, can, you didn't have a choice. That's how we, you know, uh, I mean, all our food, all the food that we had, uh, we raised it. and We canned uh, as well as they stored the food. And during the winter months, when uh, there was uh, you know garden to, to pick food from, that's, that's how we made it until the, the spring came. And what was your family like from a spiritual perspective? Did you grow up going to church? From a spiritual standpoint, my mother was, she was Baptist. And so was my dad. But I my dad didn't really attend church. And so 
on special occasions, we were all asked to go to church, like Easter and maybe Christmas and uh, maybe once or twice during the year. But uh, church was not a big part of our life, but we prayed. Uh, my mom would pray, but not so much as a family. We just heard her pray. Uh, and I, I will say that I probably didn't feel comfortable uh, praying. So I just remember that uh, going to church is that we we knew that we had to go sometimes. And then we were just excited when it was all over, <laughs> when it was all over so we could come back and play and, and have fun. So, you know, from that from that part of it, uh, church was just like you see out in the world, is that it was just something that we went to worship and we did it, um, you know, a few times a year. And then once you reached adulthood, you were introduced to the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. How did that come about? Well, it was very interesting. Uh, my mother had always told me that there was nothing on this earth that you could not achieve if you trust in God. And so I had grew up, and as I had grew up, I knew that I had to do things with my own strength. And I knew if I was going to get ahead in life that it was up to me. You know, If it is to be, it was up to me. That's the way I felt. And so I felt that that was, you know, I had to work hard. I needed to do what was right. And and that's how I felt that if I was going to find success, that's, that, that was what I was going to do. But I always uh, came to a point in life is that it seemed like no matter how good I, I, I did or there was always uh, seemed like I would always mess up or make a mistake. And I was like, oh, boy, that was dumb or that was stupid or why it didn't work out. And so and it came to where uh, I had met this girl from New Orleans, which is now my wife. And uh, I had seen bad relationships, even my mother and father, uh, you know, how their relationship was. And I'd had brothers and sisters with relationships that it just wasn't it wasn't a happy family relationships. So I've seen the arguments and and. Uh, I just didn't see that family unit. And I said, here's a girl I really like. And I really loved her. You know, I really love And I did not want our life to turn out to be like I had seen around me to where you start out all happy. And then you give yourself a couple of years later and the marriage just kind of falls apart. Nobody really mm -hmm. loves each other anymore. And so that was what caused me to say, I need to find out if there really is a God because I believed it, but I didn't know it. And so uh, it was, believe it or not, uh, it was January the 31st. It was Super Bowl Sunday, uh, 1988. I'll never forget. I had already gave God, a, I would say, an ultimatum. <laughs> and I said, I was going to try to find God by praying two to three times a day, mostly three times a day. And so uh, I had I had laid it out there and I said, I will do this. And the prayer was a prayer of a sinner. Lord Jesus, thanks for dying on the cross for my sin. Forgive me for my sin and make me Calvin Griffin, the person that you want me to be. So that was the prayer. And I gave him 30 days. And I said, if I don't know that there's a God by then, then I'm just going to know that this is just all just all a hoax. And so I gave him 30 days because I said, if my fiance and I married, I wanted to make sure that our marriage wasn't just something that was just for a short period of time. And so uh, it was at Super Bowl Sunday and there was a knock at the door. And I lived in Houston 
and my uh, fiance lived in Alexandria, Louisiana. And so it was that Sunday that I said that, okay, first of all, I need to at least do what I know that is right. And that is to attend church. So I attended church and I remember going to church uh, there. It was a Baptist church. And I remember them just talking and the preacher's preaching and he's clapping and he's saying, hey, you can come if you haven't been baptized or you can come. And, and it was very emotional and uh, people were, you know, and I looked all around me and, and I felt that everybody in the church was kind of like me that was trying to do what was right. But for whatever reason, they were just struggling, except this one lady, for whatever reason, this one lady was like she was the happiest person. And, uh, and so this emotional feeling started to come on. And I said, well, I need to join this church. And I remember I tried so hard to get up. Because they were saying, come, come. And people was coming down the aisles and they was coming up. And I tried very hard to join the church. And I wanted to join. I said, this is what I should do. And I remember in my mind becoming so nervous. And I said, I can't do it. And I remember screaming in my mind. And I screamed up to this God. I said, I can't do it. I said, I can't do it. And uh, I said, I'll just do it on uh, Wednesday. I said, I'll do it on Wednesday. I don't have to go through all these emotional feelings. I talked to the pastor. I, I will tell him, you know, that uh, I have been baptized when I was 12 and that I want to just join this church. And that's what I do on Wednesday. And then I just I just quit. I just stopped trying and I left. And so when I went back to my apartment, I called up uh, my fiance and told him I was going to drive over to Alexandria, Louisiana. And I said, hey, I want to come. Super Bowl is going to be on. Doug Williams is playing. And so uh, mm -hmm. I said, uh, and she said, well, I have to work. She's a, she, she was a pharmacist, and so, but she had to work. So she said, I'll leave the key under the mat. And so I drove there, and it's about three and a half hours. And I remember getting in the car. When I got in the car, I had Casey and the Sunshine Band, other music, right? That I, <laughs> cool in the game. I had all those. And, and, and I said, okay, if I'm going to live up to my bargain to know and find out there's a God, I need to take some of this out. And so I did. I just took the, I took the cassette tapes out, and I tried to find a gospel station or a preacher that was... And so I drove to Alexandria, Louisiana. When I get there, uh, at that time, I owned some pizza places. And so I call back. I go and I get her key and I go inside the apartment. And uh, there's a phone that I can use. And I call back to tell them, here's a number to call me if, if something comes up, you know, because uh, I'm out of town. And here's a number to call me. And I wasn't in the apartment for her apartment for maybe five minutes. And I was on the phone and there was a knock. It was a knock at the door. And so I finished up my conversation and I uh, went to the door. And right before I grabbed the handle of the door, my thought process says, don't say nothing, just listen. And that came into my mind. And so I opened the door and there stood two guys with white shirts. And the first thing they said, we have a message to bring you from Jesus Christ. And so I didn't say anything. I, I didn't say anything. And, and they asked, could could they come in? Well, I hadn't planned to be at the apartment very long. I was going to go to a catfish place and get some catfish. And then I was going to come back. I was going to watch the Super Bowl. <laughs> and so what uh, what what occurred at that time, I nodded my head. And then these two guys came in. They started to teach or talk. And it was I don't remember anything that they said too much, except that there was a prophet on the earth. And I just don't remember too much that was said in that conversation. I didn't say anything. I was just listening. And I will never forget this. When one of the missionaries was talking, the other one went down into his bag. Now, my fiance had a blue carpet, a blue carpet on the floor. 
And he pulled out something out of his bag and he laid it down on the floor. And I couldn't see it because I was paying attention to the other one. And he slowly started to move this book. I could tell he was slowly moving it towards the other one's mm. foot. I didn't know what it was, but as he moved this object, I could see it out of my vision that there was something that he had pulled out of this, this bag. And he was slowly pushing it towards the other one's foot. And I remember a feeling that came upon me and it was an exciting feeling as, as I was in a basketball game slam dunking. And as he inched that book towards the other one's foot, it literally moved me. I jumped up out of my seat and I just grabbed the book. I just reached down and I grabbed it. And I said, guys, I don't know who you are or where you're from. I said, but I know there's something here. And then I, I had a chance to tell them what I was doing. I had been praying you know, every day and I was trying to find this God and stuff like this here. And I said, why do I feel like this? Well, to make a long story short, the missionaries gave me a, uh, they gave me a scripture to read and so on and so forth. And what I did is that instead of watching the Super Bowl, I opened that book up after they left and I started to read and I could not put it down. And I remember saying, why don't the whole world know that this is, I mean, it was, I could not. Now, my fiance came home at eight o'clock. And so this was probably three thirty, four o'clock. I had read that book all the way until she came. I could not put it mm. down. And I remember shutting it back as soon as she came in and, and the TV wasn't on. I missed Doug Williams. I missed the Super Bowl. <laughs> and, and, and that was the transition. That was a transition that changed my life of how I started to hear the, the Savior in the Book of Mormon. It's so interesting that the Lord put you right where you needed to be, when you needed to be there to meet those missionaries. Yes. Yeah. And there's so much more that we don't have time on this podcast to talk about. But it was line upon line, precept upon precept. Uh, and I knew how to feel the impressions. And I was able to make decisions very clear. My choices, I could be opening up the Book of Mormon and I'd be reading and I, I may have a question and it was answered in that Book of Mormon that very same day. So it became so excited. I couldn't wait. I couldn't wait to the sunrise to get into that book again to see what the Lord was going to say or how the prayer was going to be answered. It was just so fantastic. It was just, I mean, it was just remarkable. Truly. And so then you have an opportunity to share with your fiance what you've just experienced. Well, here's here's what happened after after she came. I closed the book up and I just said, now it was a couple of guys came by. She said, why you hadn't watched about it? That's what it was a couple of guys came by and they gave me this book and she just looked at it. She, she had never heard of it. She's like, oh, she said, uh, well, why you didn't get two? And I'm like, nah, just, <laughs> I mean, I just, but I didn't talk about my feelings. I didn't say anything. And uh, I went back to Houston. All right. I drove back to Houston. And while I'm down in Houston, I told the missionaries I would be back the very next week. So I drove back the next week so I could get my second lesson. And so and she was at work again. Right? So I drove back. And so she ended up asking the missionaries for a book. And I didn't know it. And she started to read without me knowing. And so I remember when it was time for me to be baptized. I remember I told her and I was a little afraid to tell her because we originally was going to be uh, it was going to get married by a Catholic priest. 
I remember being a little nervous and I told her I was going to be baptized. And she looked at me real funny, but she didn't say anything. And I just said, could you come to my baptism? <laughs> and uh, she didn't say anything. And I'm like, okay, is this good or, or bad? And so she did. She agreed to come. And so that next week when I came, she was at the baptism and I prayed. I said, please let her feel something. And not knowing that she was reading already, I said, please just let her feel something. And so I was baptized. So I go home and the next week they, they tell me, say, hey, you can receive this priesthood. And your fiance have been reading a book. And she want to be baptized as well. And I'm like, oh, what? And they said, guess what? You will be able to baptize her. And yep. that was just, it blew my mind because I was like, there's no way that I am a preacher. I can't do this. And uh, <laughs> how can I baptize her? So that was very stressful. They, that was, it was a very stressful time. But she had already passed me in reading the Book of Mormon. And here's what she, she said. She said, when you went down into the waters of baptism, she said, I felt that you was clean. And she said, I had been raised Catholic. And I had never been baptized. I had that experience to be baptized. We were sprinkled as a, as a child. And she said, I wanted to feel what I had felt for you. And she said, that just sparked her. Well, the missionaries told me how I could be able to be worthy to baptize her. And so they explained everything to me. And then, you know, with that being said, I still asked God, was it was it okay that that this was going to be a real baptism for her? And uh, to make a long story short, without uh, without saying anything, she had a headache. And I remember on the day that she was going to be baptized, she had a headache. And I asked, I said, if this is right, you will take this headache away from her right now. And within 15 minutes, she said, my headache is gone. And she said, are you praying? And at that time, I just broke down and I just said, okay, I got the picture. And then we went down to the uh, stake center and me shaking, my knees was knocking left and right. I got down in the water and I pleaded with the Lord to let me get the words out. And I was able to baptize her. And that was what a wonderful, that was a wonderful experience for both of us. Oh, I'm sure. And from there, then you got married a short time later? Yes, we end up, uh, believe it or not, we had made a commitment to the Catholic uh, priest to get to married. So we had a civil marriage. And Father Rudin, in uh, July the 2nd, he married two Latter-day Saints. <laughs> That's what he performed. <laughs> so two Latter-day Saints, Father Rudin, a good Catholic priest, he married us, uh, and then a year after that, uh, we went to the temple to be sealed for all time and eternity. Wonderful. And since that time, I understand the two of you have had five children. Is that right? Yes, she and I uh, are the parents of five children, three boys and two girls. Believe it or not, we are empty nesters for the most part. We got uh, one door. Well, we got three in college, but we have one that's truly dependent on us in college. She's 20. <laughs> yeah. Well, that's great. Well, wonderful family and two grandchildren as well. Yes. Uh, son in Utah has two children. And believe me, you know, he's uh, about 6'6". Six, six, and he married a girl that's 6'3". And so those babies are going to be so big. They got two girls and those girls are just going to be tall. They're still young, but i uh, like, oh my goodness. Yep. Well, as you look back over the years, if you might highlight maybe one or two ways that the church has been a blessing to your family. 
Well, as an example, it allowed us to, to raise a good family. It allowed us to love and to care for one another. And that picture that I seen of having uh, a relationship that lasts beyond one or two years, uh, it has grown. And my wife and I has, we have learned how to make adjustments. You know, the thoughts, our thoughts and our feelings, we have learned how to stay strong, not to quit. And we have been able to uh, teach our children those same principles. Uh, we are committed to the very end of our life and, and throughout the eternities. So it has changed. It has changed so much. And I remember that my sister, I uh, had a sister that she's I got one sister. I got uh, two that is uh, members, but one that hadn't. And she said, what is the difference in this relationship, the current relationship of my marriage compared to the other relationships I had? And I told her it was the gospel of Jesus Christ in our temple covenant. And I said, it has made the, all the difference in the world. And I said, and I've been born of God. I said, my disposition has changed. I have changed. I feel different about people and circumstances. And so the gospel has really allowed us to know who we really are, sons and daughters of God. And and what I mean, it just makes me want to just jump for joy that I get a chance to experience. I got a chance to experience two sides, the side of the world and just believing there's a God. And then the one where you're connected to God in a very holy way. And it is just it is just so exciting. What a blessing it's been when you look at your children and, and your life. It sounds like uh, you've been truly blessed in that way. And as I think about you, I think you probably have an interesting perspective, at least in this part of the world. If you go to one of our Latter-day Saint congregations, you'll see a lot of white faces in those congregations. So you would have had an interesting perspective as an African-American in these mostly white wards. How's that gone for you and your family? Well, first of all, you know, I think the wife and I was uniquely placed together so that we could grow together. And so we have been able to counsel with one another concerning circumstance. So I never felt really all alone because I had her. Right? I had her. True. And so even in the midst of these, uh, you know, of the wards where, um, there were predominantly white because there was wars and we were the only uh, African-American. The members were always, and I mean, always kind. Maybe we just got lucky. Uh, maybe we got lucky and just be in the right wards. But they were they were like family. In fact, it was better than my, some of my own family members, <laughs> to be totally <laughs> honest. And so we and my wife had, uh, she had friends and still do had friends that was uh, that was white, but we never seen them as such. And so uh, when it was time to, you know, they talked about race and the priesthood. Well, I knew where to go to get the answers to all of those. I knew that my relationship with the Lord would give me the answers that I needed. And so anytime that there was a question, uh, especially when they, you know, they talk about, you know, the race and the priesthood, I was able to pray or to fast to receive the answer that uh, I needed. My wife have never, ever doubted that the gospel was true. And here's one thing that I want to share with you that made a difference in my life concerning, uh, you know, the race and the priesthood and, you know, and that God, he did create all of us. And it didn't matter if I happened to be an African-American 
in the church. It was a, it was God church, and this is this is what was a game changer for me. And I'm gonna try to I'm gonna try to do it as quick as I can and try to compact it. The little children would come up to the stand and they would say, "I know Joseph Smith is a prophet. I know Joseph Smith is a prophet." And I heard that every fast and testimony meeting. And I said to myself, I know what I have felt. And I know I've been guided, but I don't know this. I said, I believe that he was based. I said, but I don't know this. To me, no one is that you really know a thing. And I told my wife, I said, I want to know if Joseph Smith is a prophet. And I want God to tell me. I want, I want to know. And so I said, I'm going to fast and I'm going to pray without food or water for as long as it takes. And I started this trek. And I went three days, no food or water. And the wife stopped me. The wife stopped me. She said, your kidneys is going to shut down and this is not going to be good for our family. <laughs> Stop. We're young. <laughs> and she stopped me and I had prayed and I had asked and I begged and I received nothing. I received no answer. And I know what starvation feels like now. And she said, you got to eat now. And I remember eating and the food just didn't have a taste. And I can see what they say. You got to force feed someone. It just didn't have a taste. But she said, your kidneys and your body, your stomach got to start to, you got to start, you got to, you got to eat. And so I did. And I felt like that he had let me down. Why he hadn't answered. I had received promptings and impressions before, but why now would he not say anything to me? And I remember felt like that. I quit, that I gave up before he answered me. And that night, you know, I laid down disappointed, just so disappointed. And I can say that I had a dream, you know, and in this dream, I seen a man. And this man didn't say anything to me and I didn't say anything to him. I knew who he was and he knew me and he could read my thoughts. He knew what I was asking him and he picked it right out of my mind. And without me saying anything, I'm going to paraphrase this answer. And it came back into my mind, just like just like he received my words. I received his words right back into my mind. And this voice in my mind said, in this dream, is that he was at the head. And that from the beginning up until now, which I think maybe that was President Benson, maybe uh, President Hunter, he said that they were all under his direction. And when he, that voice came into my mind and said that I remember starting to cry and I wanted to apologize to him. I remember just, you know, taking my hands in this dream and, and, and I just started to cry and I just started to cry. And as soon as I started to cry, just boohooing with tears, I awoke. And I was sitting up in the middle of the bed and I was crying. And mm -hmm. it was just as real as I had heard that voice. And it still was burning in every bit of me. And I just said, not only do I know that Joseph Smith is a prophet of God, but I know that Brigham and that all was under his direction. And that joy filled my whole entire being. And from that I have lived my life because I know that I've heard the voice of the Lord saying that he was ahead and that they all was under his direction. And so uh, as an African-American in the church, I have seen myself as a son of God. 
and as an equal in all things. And I have tried to share that with uh, every other African-American is that this is the church and kingdom of God. And you can be rest assured that he has made all the adjustments needed for you this day, this time for you to receive all that the father has. And so that is, has been my uh, my experience as an Afro-American in the church. And I've got to think that that experience and your testifying of that experience has brought a lot of strength to other people as you've had opportunities to help them in that way. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. You have served as the president of the Denton Stake for going on four years now. And I'm sure there's been a lot of wonderful things that have happened and that you've been able to do in that time. But as we get ready to close here, I thought it would be interesting to talk a little bit about this innovative idea that you had to make a video to invite other ecclesiastical leaders to unite with you and the church in the area to establish a personal and organizational friendship. How did that come about? We were making some adjustments in the state. It was the 2020 anniversary, and there was a lot of things that we were going to make adjustments. The impression was coming very good that that when when the Denton, Texas state changed, you know, that it was going to be a total different feel, that people get a totally different feel. And in the midst of making these adjustments, we added a ward. Uh, there's no Denton first, Denton second, Denton third. We changed all of that. It's Pecan Creek and Oakmont and Clear Creek Ward. So it, it was so many adjustments. And these 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 things was coming through impressions. And as we was making the adjustments, the ward boundaries and, and so on and so forth, and these impressions was coming. We wasn't getting stupor of thoughts. And so now we couldn't we couldn't do it for our conference in June. And so because COVID was there, but all these things we were doing and we had them all there. And in the process, these impressions came is that we need to reach beyond our own congregation and then make a request to the leaders who love God and ask them to build a friendship with us, that they are accountable to God to build a relationship or allow their members to build a relationship. And so this came as a very, very strong impression because I felt that there was going to be somebody that was going to need us and that it was our responsibility is to extend our hand because we have the words of eternal life, not just a little bit of it, but we connect people that's here on the earth with heaven through the temple. And I knew that. And I said, we have to build this relationship so that instead of these other maybe organizations talking about us, they respect us and they feel that we bring value to the community. And so that's where uh, this, this video came out and the wording and, and we put everything together to extend this. And I think I really do this in English and in Spanish. And I'm telling you, it was divine. It was divine as we as we rolled it out. So doing conference of October conference, they wasn't allowing conferences. And so we had to write to President Ballard, which is the president of the Quorum of the Twelve, to get approval. And so we had to explain everything that we were going to do for him to approve us to be able to have a social distances as long as uh, we could send it out to all the uh, members through uh, a broadcast. And so we was able to explain all of that. And they allowed us to have this 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 uh, the state conference. And that's where all the wards adjustments were revealed, as well as this uh, as this intro. And so we have had success with that videotape. It was kind of inspired that this is what we should do to build relationships in this area.
And so as ecclesiastical leaders from other churches have had opportunities to view that video, what's the response been? Have you heard from some of them? You know, we started out with smaller chunks, you know, 15, 20, 30. Uh, we've had one to come back and says, uh, your uh, faith does not align with ours, and uh, we're not interested at this time. And this is what I, I, I told the uh, person that's head of our communications. I said, it's just like Nephi going to get the plates. I said, because a lot of time they're going to look at it real quick and they won't read it. I said, you want to extend that invitation three times and give them an opportunity to say no <laughs> three times yep. and ask them. And so that's what she have done. And in the interim, we have had some that we have, we have, and I wish I could get through all the details, but we have, and it has been a wonderful experience. Uh, the First United Methodist Church is one. And then we had another organization, another church, the Baha'i of Faith. And we had some of their ecclesiastical leaders as I was talking, literally clapped. So every person that we get a chance to get in front of has been a very positive experience. We don't bring our religious beliefs, even though we pray and we let them pray, we do open and a closing prayer, but we tell them that we are responsible to be friends and that we have a mandate. We have a mandate that the God has given us to reach out to everybody. And it did, didn't help any that we had two truckloads come from Salt Lake, too, that we sent out to uh, the food pantry in this area. So we got two 18-wheelers to come. And so all of that has been work in progress. And I told the uh, communications team is that this is just not a six months. This will continue. You know, I bring as long as I'm state president, <laughs> this will continue. Mm -hmm. We will continue to reach out uh, one uh, organization at a time until we have gave an invitation to all of those uh, leaders that's out there that we know of uh, in this area. Well, what an inspiring idea with the simple invitation to be friends. Exactly. Uh, what better bridge can you build than to be friendly? Well, President Griffin, this has been wonderful to have you on our podcast in this episode. I really appreciate you sharing your life experience and your conversion story and these other wonderful faith-inspiring experiences that you've had. Uh, we just really appreciate you being with us, and thank you very much. Well, uh, it has been a wonderful opportunity. Uh, as I close, I would just like to say I love the gospel, and I know that it's available for everybody, and it, and it is for everybody. It has made a difference in my life, and I've seen it change so many lives. COVID has allowed us to become a holier people. We have seen the hand of God. We have seen so many miracles. It has allowed us to be able to let him to prevail. And what a wonderful experience it has been. You know, I leave my choice as blessing as a state president and as an elder in the church that those who do listen to this podcast, I want to testify is that God do hear us and that he is uh, going about doing good for his sons and daughters. His love is tremendous. And I leave this blessing with you and my testimony, and I do so in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. Thank you very much. Our guest on this Black History Month episode has been President Calvin Griffin, president of the Denton, Texas Stake. I truly appreciate President Griffin's testimony and perspective, as well as his reminder that we are all God's children and that our Heavenly Father will answer our prayers. 
For Lone Star Latter-day Saint Voices, I'm Eric Egan.